Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, as we sit in the post-Monaco hangover, pre-Montreal doldrums, we have a new game. Yes, but we need an F1 race to play the game. Yes, we do. Um, thanks to the good folks over at TopGear.com, not to be confused with the Top Gear TV show. I mean, there there is some relation, but... Some different staff. They're still working as opposed to the TV show folks, which we don't know what's happening. But anyway, thanks to the good folks over at TopGear.com, we have a new game called Maldonado Bingo. This is even better than HasPastorCrashToday.com. I know. So describe Maldonado Bingo for those that want to play at home. Well, basically, you have a game card, and we need to provide the game card. Um, But you have the game card, and you select three potential events on the game card and then you sit back and watch the race and let the points just roll right in awesome isn't it so what are possible choices in the game card okay well let's start with for just five points the lowest points on the card we have the limitation game block this is for any time that Maldonado drives beyond track limits and onto runoff areas gravel or grass this actually could add up kind of quick Really, it could. I mean, it it could. So now we have, for 10 points, is the racing incident square. That is for any incident involving Pastor, which is investigated by Charlie Whiting. Now, you only get half points for minor contact, which is ignored by race control. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you know, this could go either way. Um, That's 10 points. For 15 points, we have Pastor Baked. And this one you could actually uh, do pretty well with this year because it's happened quite a bit. Um, that is for any mechanical failure not caused by contact that forces Maldonado to retire from the race. Well, considering he's only finished one race this year, um, yeah. But, but not all of them are mechanical, and, and not all of them have been non-contact related. True, so, true. So we have, for 20 points, it's a knockout. This is any collision involving passer that damages another car. You get 20 points for each retirement. And 10 points for every car that's forced to pit. Awesome. Now we have Crashed or La Vista. Ooh. That is 25 points for any crash, which immediately prevents Maldonado from continuing in the Grand Prix, regardless of who's to blame. Oh, so just being involved. Yes. Um, This one, it could be a little iffy. It doesn't happen often, but... It's going to happen to anybody. It's going to be Pastor. For 30 points, you have Life's the Pits. That is any occasion where Pastor loses control of his car in the pit lane. Race-ending crashes score double points. Oh, <laughs> crashes in the pit lane. We have the wild card. That okay. Is, that is spin the wheel. You collect five <laughs> points if Maldonado finishes above his initial grid position. You add one point for each additional place gained. However, lose 10 points if he drops back. Um, another one that only one time that we've had this. Uh, for 10 points is the clean as a whistle. He drives clean? Any completed race distance in which, which Pastor avoids contact with all other cars for the duration of the Grand Prix. Now, for 15 points, we have Garage King, which is any Grand Prix in which Pastor finishes above his teammate. Applies if he retires one lap after Grosjean has himself left the race. And now we have the big, the big three here. 
For 20 points, we have point to prove. This is any race where Maldonado is classified in the top 10. However, you score only 10 points if he gets a time or drive through penalty. For 50 points, you have on the podium. Applicable if the Venezuelan finishes in the top three. You get a 10-point bonus if he does it despite crashing once or more. Ooh. And for 100 points, something that has happened just one time in his career. Now, keep in mind, after that happened, the garage spontaneously combusted. But for one, one time this has happened, 100 points, any race that Maldonado wins, you score an extra – is 100 points. Now, you score an extra 50 points if he crashes on his victory lap or on arrival in Park Ferme. <laughs> now, you might wonder – why do we pick on Pastor so much? Well, that, you know, as, as you're making your picks, you need to choose wisely here. Well, yes, you do. I mean, do you go for the near certainty of him uh, driving off the track, or do you go for the improbable of podium finish? You know, what do you do in, in hopes of collecting the most points in, in Maldonado Bingo? But I go back to, we pick on Pastor a lot. And I've got Everybody some... picks on Pastor a lot. Yeah, well, I've got some stats to prove why Pastor is the butt of all jokes. Okay. Are you ready? Prior to Monaco 2015, Maldonado started in eight, 82 Grand Prix, not including the one pre-race retirement in 2014. Okay. Okay. So he, he's, he's got some experience there. Of those 82 starts... He has retired 23 times. That is a DNF percentage of 28%. Okay, that's not quite as impressive. In his four and a bit years at Williams and Lotus, Maldonado has finished in the top 10 just eight times. His teammates, on the other hand, have picked up points 18 times in that same period. All right, see, now you got to stop right there. Considering that all of these points count toward money that the team brings in, he's not exactly a big money earner by merit for any team that hires him. He does have his one race win that we talked about. He claimed pole position and the checkered flag in Barcelona in 2012. It remains the only interesting addition of the Spanish Grand Prix. Yeah, at least from what we've saw. Yeah, I guess you could go there. So let's just look at Monaco on its own and Pastor. The drama is particularly colorful for Maldonado in Monaco. In 2011, a DNF after colliding with Lewis Hamilton. He was classified 18th. 2012. DNF after crashing with Delarosa had started last on the grid after a practice session collision with Sergio Perez. So he double collided in that well, year. There, there's actually more to that story, too. Okay. Part of the reason why he started last due to that collision was because the collision was intentional. <laughs> he deliberately hit Perez coming out of the tunnel. Such an idiot. 2013. DNF after crash with Max Chilton. The race was red flagged as a result. Oh, okay. In all fairness there, that was a really spectacular crash. <laughs> I mean, he, just, he sent the, 
the tech pro barrier out across the track. I mean, nobody could have passed there. I mean, that if you're going to go, go big, man. Well, Maldonado <laughs> has. In 2014, he had a DNS due to a full fuel pump failure before the race and had only qualified in 15th place. So what is that? Four straight years of neither starting or finishing? But, you know, this is all on top of the fact that um, it's a miracle that he's allowed into Monaco in the first place. Well, that was my last point, was to top all of that off. Maldonado received a lifetime driving ban in Monaco for injuring a marshal in a World <laughs> Series race in, 20, in 2005. The then 21-year-old was only allowed to compete Again, after his sponsors agreed to pay the marshal's medical fees. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that Monaco is very sad that uh, Maldonado does not finish very (laughs) well ever. (laughs) Well, other than the fact that, you know, they've that damage costs money. Yes. And that's the thing is I have yet to see anybody do the math. With the money he brings into the team compared to the money he costs the team in damage. Well, you know, that is something that if I ever meet Claire Williams, especially since Maldonado has now been long gone from the team. After you finish drooling over her? Well, yeah. (laughs) But if I ever meet Claire Williams, that is one of the questions that I want to ask is – how that value proposition actually works with the amount of damage that he does to cars and compared to the money that PDVSA brings in as the sponsor and the amount of money that they lose just in points from him and his various incidents. Well, the fact how that, that he brings out. roughly less than half the points to the table that his teammates have in the same period of time is pretty impressively bad. Well, there's that, but also if you remember, I think it was last year during one of the red button uh, bits that BBC had done. Now, for those who aren't familiar with BBC coverage, after every live race, they do additional content through their what's called the red button. Um, It's about another hour of analysis and commentary and just general oddball stuff. It's a lot looser than a normal broadcast. Uh, But Eddie Jordan did a cost analysis of what it costs to repair various bits on a car after it's been damaged, how much it costs to replace the front wing and the back wing and the various body work and the wheels and the suspension and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take much for the numbers to add up to unprofitable. Correct. If you have enough race, uh, uh, enough incidents. And that's the part I've never <clears throat> fully understood. I would suggest, however, that if you ever got to meet Claire Williams in person, you would never have such an articulate question come out of your mouth. It would take a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, we hear all this talk from the various teams and, and from the folks who are outside and even some drivers about how Formula One is too easy and they hold up young 17-year-old Max Verstappen as the poster child for why Formula One is too easy. And Wait a minute. Before you go any further, okay. I need to talk about Max for just a second. Okay. Because I know you know he's the youngest Formula One driver ever. Oh, really? I hadn't yes. heard that before. So I was reading – okay, so I was reading The Guardian. Um, <laughs> 
And they always do like the five things that we learned at whatever mm-hmm. previous race. The second thing that they learned in Monaco was that Max Verstappen is going to be a world champion in future years. I mean, he's got some serious race ability here. Their prediction is he will be on a major team in three. I think that's a possibility. It's it's a distinct probability, actually. Um, I think that he needs to get to be about 20 and one of the top three or and try to pick him up. He's that if he good. Ke- if he keeps driving the way he has been, yes, absolutely. There, there's going to be teams trying to get at him in the next few years for a seat. Will he be a world champion? The only reason why I'm going to say I wouldn't write that as a probability – well, I, I won't come out and say he's definitely going to be a world champion only because – it's all a matter of timing, of catching the right team at the right point at the right time in their development cycle to have all the cards fall into place. Skill is a huge part of it, and being a great driver does have a lot to do with it. But again, let's look at Sebastian Vettel last year at Red Bull. Yeah. So that's why I won't jump out and say he's going to be a world champion. I think it's very likely. I think he definitely has world champion material. Yes. Um, and to be as young as he is and as strong a driver as he is definitely puts him on the fast track. But you're right. The team has to get the car right or you could have the best driver in the world behind the wheel and they're not going to do it. Yeah. So anyway, back to Formula One is too easy because we have a 17-year-old that can put the car around the track. Well, Max's teammate, Carlos Sainz Jr., who – isn't really all that much older. He's only, I think, about 18 months older than Max. Yes, but he's a senior statesman. Yeah, for, for Toro Rosso. He has actually come out and said that F1 is a mentally horrible challenge for drivers, completely refuting everybody else, what, what everybody else is saying about the sport. Now, what he says is that, well, yes, it's not as physically demanding as it was 10 years ago, and that's some of what they're all saying is, you know, we don't see the drivers trying to collapse as they, or, or collapsing as they, they get out of the cars. It's That part isn't as draining. But what Max says – or not Max. What uh, Carlos says is that mentally it's really, really tough to go through all those switches while at the same tri- time you're trying to save your tires. At the same time, you're trying to handle your battery and your brake balance for every different corner. It's tough, but in a different way. I would prefer to simplify a bit of that stuff and just make the cars quicker and make me focus more on making my car quicker. Saints now believes that the, or he, he believes that the mental element now makes up the biggest proportion of the challenge for new F1 drivers. You need 20% focus on your driving and 80% focus on the other stuff. Normally, it's the other way around. That's interesting. You would so think, does this mean that a Formula One driver would be better at texting while driving than your average mortal? Possibly. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest they text while driving an F1 car, though. Oh, okay. Um, but it would be interesting that if it's truly an 80-20 split, like he says, I think that you would see more crashing because knowing that they're only focusing 20% on where their car is on the, the track would seem like you would have yeah. more people running into each other. But, you know, I go back to that, they, they, the, the ubiquitous they. People talk about it's not as physically demanding as it once was. Well, here's the problem. It used to be that the drivers weren't in any sort of shape. 
We watched James Hunt come to races drunk. Yeah. Or hungover, at the very least. They smoked, they drank, they partied the Playboy lifestyle. Today, and Schumacher really pioneered part of this, was the in-shape driver makes the car less physically demanding. Because I would love to know what the out of the out of shape driver of yesteryear driving today's Formula One car would they not also be as physically exhausted? Because one of the things that the sport has done is made it a physical sport where you have to be in shape. I mean, button does triathlons. Um, they they run marathons. They work out like never before. True. The the only thing I would say kind of takes away from that argument is that Fernando Alonso came out and said, you know, 10 years ago when I was driving, I was more drained. I was more – it, it was h- harder on me physically than it is now. Now, again, we don't know how much his own training regimen has changed, but – you know, he's a modern driver who's still in the cars who's saying this. I don't uh, know. Yeah. We don't know how much his training regimen has changed. We also don't know how much the learning curve of what it takes. Um, okay. So think of it in this terms. The first time somebody runs a marathon, it knocks them out for a week afterwards. Yeah. The second and third time they run a marathon, they mentally know they can do it and it doesn't knock them out as hard. Um, I have a friend of mine that runs one marathon every year. And, yeah, he's shot for the next couple of days after the marathon every year. But the first year, he was shot for two weeks and still feeling the after effects. The other thing is that, you know, we had – actually, we didn't have it. There there were – Mercedes released a little bit of video, and I'm hoping there's a lot more to come out. We, we, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Sterling Moss and Lewis Hamilton drove 1950s-era uh, Mercedes Grand Prix cars around Monza, including up on the banking. Right. And afterwards, Sterling came over and was given the tour of Lewis's car, the modern car, and the cockpit. And Sterling came out and said, now granted, he's older and he, he's not as technically savvy because he wasn't raised with all the technology. But he looked at the steering wheel and, and all of the bits and pieces that go along with it. And he, and he said, I can't imagine driving with this. I don't know how you can focus on your driving and driving quickly and driving safely with having all these buttons and dials and switches that you're managing and all these settings that you're managing as you go through the race. Yeah. But Sterling didn't grow up playing video games either. Yeah. So, I mean, he probably looks at, you know, the modern, oh, streetcar as being technologically advanced. Well, it is to some extent. I'm not a Sterling Moss fan. Understood. Well, you were until he started opening his mouth a little more. You liked him when we saw him in Racing Legends with Patrick Stewart. I liked him just fine there. He didn't. He wasn't disparaging to women, and we'll see. he wasn't being a butt. <laughs> he has since realized that he is old without a filter and is a butt. Okay. And he doesn't like my Lois. I don't know about that. Yeah, he's come out and he said that he doesn't think Lois is a great race car driver. Oh well, okay. Yeah, we 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 dislike him. We have 
He is dead to us. All right. So moving on. Yes. If you are interested in fielding a F1 team for 2016. Okay. Uh, the FIA has launched a selection process. Okay. Now, I think 2016, you're kind of nuts if you're going to try it. Maybe 2017. Actually, at this point, the way things are, I think anybody's just kind of nuts to move into F1 in general. <clears throat> but the FIA has uh, – you must approach the FIA by June 30th to express your intent, uh, after which you will be sent more detailed selection criteria with your full application due by September 1st with a – a final decision expected by September 30th. Now, some of the criteria that the FIA would be uh, assessing um, would be made based on the overall long-term interest of the championship, and it would not select an additional team if there is no viable candidate. They will be assessing the technical ability and resources of the team, the ability of the team to raise and maintain sufficient funding to allow participation in the championship at a competitive level. Just got to wonder about that one there. Because you look at what's going on with Manor Marusha and how they're just hanging, and do they fit within that guideline right there? Yeah. Um, the team's experience and human resources and the value the candidate may bring to the championship as a whole. And it still looks like Haas is on track to uh, join the grid in 2016. And uh, – if we get another team, that would be the first time there would be 12 teams on the grid since 2012 and the Brazilian Grand Prix. Wow. And Bernie seems to be opposed to having 12 teams on the grid. So that should be very interesting. Yeah. Now, our last bit of news before we, we, we look back at the hangover of Monaco. Mm -hmm. And honestly, this I don't think is much of a surprise. But Red Bull has announced that they are considering taking uh, engine penalties for the Canadian Grand Prix because Montreal is a one of these high-speed, low-drag circuits. Yep. And with the amount of power that the Renault engine is down on, they're not going to be competitive. No, and they already know they're going to take a penalty. So at this point, it's when, not if. Yeah, so you might as well take your first one now. I'm also not expecting to see great things coming out of uh, McLaren for this one. Uh, they have come out and said that they believe it this – and I think it's a little odd since they still lost a car in Monaco. But they've said that they're, they're changing the direction of the focus on their development – or Honda's come out and said they're changing the direction of the focus on their development to be a little less on reliability. They're thinking reliability is coming along, and they're looking at, at the power issues now. Interesting. I'm going to tell you my prediction is that we're going to have McLaren come out at the break, at the mid-season break, and say we've stopped development on the 2015 car and we're going to focus on 2016. Oh, probably. And not only that, but you got to think— We're going to bag the season here shortly. you you got to also think by around, oh, Hungary, the press is going to start badgering them about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know— Back to Monica. We talked last week about how McLaren, they scored their first points. Yay, McLaren! Um, and, and did so very clearly. I mean, he was up at Jensen, I think, ended up in, what, seventh? He was up there. It, it was a very good showing. And granted, some odd stuff happened in Monaco. You, you can do a bit better, much like in Australia. You can do a bit better than uh, 
possibly anywhere else in Monaco because of the unusual stuff that can happen. Well, we have some post-race comments from Jensen, uh, courtesy of the folks over at the BBC. This is uh, Susie Perry talking to Jensen post-race. Hey, we've got Jensen Button with us because he scored points the first time this year. Congratulations. Oh, I like it. You don't do interviews with me if I don't score points. Well, you won't talk to us because you're fed up. Grumpy. Um, No, good good day for the whole team. You know, this is a stepping stone. We're not going to be patting ourselves on the back just yet, but... um, it's a stepping stone to great things. You know, every race we've made progress this year. Um, but you don't, most people don't see it because you're not in the points. Um, but today they do. And uh, a positive day. You know, in Monaco you can score points and you're lucky. Today we had the pace and we were, you know, we weren't that much slow in the cars in front. So a good day. I really enjoyed it out there as well. It's unusual when, you, when you're starting in 10th to have a clear air pretty much the whole race. So it was just quality laps the whole way. Really, really enjoyable. Sorry, hon. Um, button was 8th, not 7th. Okay, I was working from memory here. You know, I didn't have it up in front of me. <laughs> Those know. are two points that Button probably would have really appreciated getting. McLaren but, would have appreciated it too. Yeah, no, Perez edged him out for seventh place. Okay. Perez, from what we hear, actually had a good drive. Mm-hmm. We don't know because we didn't really see it. Um, I heard a lot of complaints about production for this race that a lot of things were missed and were not aired through the world feed and through a couple other places um not least of which was uh we didn't hear any audio and this might have made a difference in some folks thinking here when um daniel ricardo passed kimmy when he muscled his way past he came over the radio, and you can hear it in the FIA's race edit, but they did not broadcast it anywhere else. Daniel came on the radio and goes, get out of my way, as he pushes past. Oh, my. Yeah. Interesting. Apparently, the honey badger has teeth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of which, uh, we got some comments from Daniel coming out of the race with his, what, fourth place finish. Fifth. Fifth place finish, see? Wow. You're, like, not doing very well. Hey, Did you forget memory. that his teammate, <clears throat> Daniel right. Kvyat, beat him for four? No, he prefers Danny. Oh, Danny. Danny can, Danny Kvyat. Okay. Well, Danny got fourth. Remember, Ricardo had to give back a place. That's right. He did. Well, we have some comments uh, with him and Susie Perry from post-race. Okay. That was a little bit tasty towards the end, wasn't it? Was. Was. <laughs> I didn't have much for lunch, so <laughs> I was a little bit hungry. <laughs> Apparently, if you don't want Ricardo to be angry, feed him. Yeah, feed him for, feed him pre-race. <laughs> <laughs> feed that poor boy, yes. You know, and from everything I heard, not surprisingly, while the Red Bull, I guess the best way to describe their area in Monaco is a barge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a yacht. like it, it, It's like a barge. Um, the party was subdued compared to previous years interesting you know you we didn't have mark Reb, mark weber celebrating a win by jumping into the pool in his full race gear okay nothing like that happened this year did you notice they did an interview with mr weber this past year um in monaco well, oh yes in monaco and have you noticed that he looks great now that he's gained probably 50 or 70 pounds and I, you know, since he's still actively racing with Porsche over on the WRC circuit, I'm surprised that he has put on so much weight. Now, okay, I hesitate to say that he's put on so much okay. weight only because so he's much now is in at any. a healthy weight. So much is in any. 
How's that? I mean, he now lo- does not look gaunt is the biggest difference. I wonder if the WRC is as weight restrictive as that Formula One is. I mean, if you think about it, the endurance side may allow for a little bit more wiggle room in weight um, than a Formula One car. And I, I'm, I'm guessing here. But it the may man be. looks human. It, it may also be that you just need a bit more weight on you to handle the longer stints closer together than you do in a formula than you get in a formula one car and that could be it too that you know you're you need you need the body fuel to be doing that Mm -hmm. so any more aftermath hangover bits well we can move over to mercedes Uh, this one hurts you know, we've heard a lot about what's been going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of comments that have come out. Toto has said a few things. Um, we have the immediate race reaction from Nikki Lauda to Tom Clarkson. Tom caught him on the pit lane. Okay. Um, which And the BBC aired this. So let's get Lauda, Nikki Lauda's comments first. Nikki, one very happy Mercedes driver and one less happy Mercedes driver. How do you explain what happened during the safety car? I apologize already to Lewis because a top team should not make mistakes like this. And I'm really upset, to be honest, because it was not necessary. It was the wrong decision to bring him in. It was very obvious. There was no reason, no risk or whatsoever to stay, leave him out. And I'm really disappointed. Was there some confusion swapping from virtual safety car to a, an actual safety car? It doesn't matter. We are professionals up there, and they should be able to switch from one to the other and still take the right decision. Okay. So you've now had a week to digest this. Yeah. And to hear some of the comments. Mm Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts? Um, I think the team screwed up pretty badly. Um, I think that they have owned their screw-up. And apologized for it. And the one thing that I've seen come out of it that I think is the most interesting is the maturity of Lewis. I really think that the man, he turned 30 in January. He's got some maturity on him. While I know he's upset, he is so known for sort of emotional outbursts. Oh, absolutely. And he didn't have one like that. Well, there was a lot of ta- – I guess at some point after a really bad um, Monaco race, Senna basically up and walked off from the track and walked home. There was a lot of thought, especially, I guess, when Lewis pulled over at the entrance to Portal and stared off over into the med, that Lewis was about to do the same to the point that Sebastian Vettel – radioed back to the pits and said, I think he's about to leave and go home. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now now that you have formed this and you've come up with this opinion and, and your thought here, I have another piece of audio that has come out. Okay, one second before you – okay, go for it. I, I have this piece of audio that has come out. Okay. Now, this is a piece of audio that was not broadcast on the world feed. Okay. Um, it – came out afterwards in the FIA's Monaco race edit okay. of the exchange of what happened here. And I think this may change a little bit as to what it, – it, it's a very different impression of what actually happened here. 
So let me play this real quick. Safety car, safety car. So we are staying out. You sure it's the best thing to stay out? These tires have lost all their temperature. Everyone's going to be on options now. Okay, copy, copy. Box, box. Now, I apologize for the bass and everything. Like I said, this came from the FIA's race edit, but that's a totally different picture than anything we had heard so far. No, we've all heard that Mercedes pulled him in incorrectly, but it sounds like Lewis, maybe that's where his his maturity has come in because he knows he played a part in it. Um, wow, that does change things a little <laughs> bit. I was going to tell you that Paul Weaver wrote um, in one of the things that we learned in Monaco from the Guardian mm-hmm. that Lewis Hamilton had not only mastered the twisty streets of Monaco, but also his own temper. And so maybe that's what plays into it is he sees his part of it. Um, He can still be impulsive, but he is far more grown up these days, which I think is something that we've seen consistently this year. Going back to that bit of audio, though. Yes. Yes, Lewis radioed it. And and this changes a lot of the way we were talking last week of what point does Lewis start to question the team since it sounds like the team actually went with – Lewis's recommendation. recommendation. I still go back to, though, the team screwed up because I still go back to the fact that even if Lewis is radioing in and saying, hey, I'm concerned about the temperature and everybody else is going to dive in, there were several pieces of information that the team had that Lewis didn't. Number one, Lewis has absolutely no idea where the cars are in relationship to him. Mm-hmm. Number two, while, yes, Ferrari was out in the pit lane just in case that they were going to bring somebody in, somebody on the pit wall at Mercedes should have had the situa- situational awareness to know that if Vettel came in, he was going to come back guaranteed not only behind Nico, which he already was, but behind Kvyat. And the odds of him passing the two on Monaco with, at that point, nine to ten laps left was almost impossible. I mean, that that doesn't change. The other thing is that Lewis came out in, in one of his post-race comments and said that he had caught sight of one of the screens. And, and we don't know where this happened. But he caught sight of one of the screens. He saw the Mercedes pit crew out there, or he thought he saw the Mercedes pit crew out there and thought Nico was being pitted. We know Nico wasn't being pitted, and somebody at Mercedes should have been bright enough to turn around and say, at the very least, we're not bringing Nico in. You still have cover. Yeah. And they didn't do that. Yeah. I I think the team, the teamwork itself broke down. Mm -hmm. Now, I also think that, and I will say this very carefully here, Lewis has been very melodramatic about the loss of tires. And he has been told to stay on tires longer than he's wanted to stay on tires and without having disastrous results. And I think that his pit crew fell down on their job of managing Lewis. Yes, absolutely. On that pace. So I don't know. I'm I'm a little stunned. You, You were correct. You warned me that I would be stunned by this piece of audio. I am a little stunned. Yeah, and and to be clear, unlike most of the audio, this is audio I deliberately did not share until we were recording. Yeah. Because I I, I caught wind of it and went specifically looking for it. When I heard the whole exchange, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Yes, I I think you're right. Now, I will say that in the aftermath, 
a lot of people are now starting to look at what is Lewis going to do going into Montreal. Mm -hmm. Now, Montreal is traditionally a really good track for him. Only Schumacher has run that, won that track more times than Lewis Hamilton has. Um, it's one of his favorite tracks, that and Hungary. It's um, the- definitely one of the top favorite tracks. Um, Paul Weaver of The Guardian mentions that he considers it a highlight of his career to have watched Lewis win it the first time, which was like his sixth outing ever in a Formula One car and his first win, and he won it at Montreal. And that was a glorious event. And some of his wins there have been spectacular. Oh, definitely. So um, Paul suggests that Lewis may have se- may seek some therapy going into it to right his mind. Um, basically to put the past behind him and try to focus on the future because we know Lewis doesn't always do that very well. I can't imagine an F1 driver going into post-race counseling of any sort whatsoever <laughs> that completely takes away from some of the machismo of being a formula one driver do you this think he guy, will publicly admit it this guy is off his rocker <laughs> yeah possibly and let's also remember that last year at montreal Mercedes, as as much as this is Lewis's favorite circuit, Mercedes did not have very good success. Lewis suffered brake failure. Um, Nico struggled and I think ended up in either second or third off the top of my head. And Daniel Ricciardo brought home a win. Yeah. Ricciardo seems to be kind of excited about going to Montreal this year, by the way. You know, he might be, but um, I can't see the Red Bulls doing all that well. I think this is going to be an interesting Ferrari-Mercedes mix. It could be. But before we get too far ahead, we do have some last comments from Nico. Yes. Um, There was an interesting observation that Eddie Jordan had made uh, in the post-race analysis uh, of Nico's now second win of the season. Yes. So, so let's play that real quick and, and what Nico had to say about it. Nico, I've got to talk about Lady Luck, and you've just hugely embraced your pregnant wife. I mean, you've got to bring her to more races because she, she's only been to two, and you've won both of them. This is a serious problem. Yeah, I need is. to. We're slowly but surely. We need to do a bit of an analysis on the capabilities of um, of bringing out a, a baby in the paddock because uh, she's going to have to come to what, you, many you, more you races. She's going to have to have the baby if and, it's a race. Well, that's... if it does happen during the race weekend. <laughs> It could be an issue, so we need to make an analysis of that, uh, what the facilities are like here, because I think <laughs> she's going to have to come to many more races. You're all heart. <laughs> <laughs> I love Susie Perry's last comment of, you're all heart. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's not about the fact that she's pregnant and, you know, she should have all of the creature comforts in the world to have her baby. No, she has to have it in the paddock so that you can win more races. Well, you know, I'm thinking that if Lewis Hamilton can get permission to bring Roscoe into the paddock and into the pit garages and the pits, that it should be a slam dunk for Nico to be able to get his pregnant wife and, and then no longer pregnant wife and baby into the paddock and pits. <laughs> baby might not appreciate it, but hey. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that comment that he made about having her uh, give birth in the paddock. And first, it would be an F1 first that would be talked about for years oh, and yeah. years and years. Um and possibly 
would be the youngest attendee ever at an F1 <laughs> event. Um, however, I was also thinking about the cleanliness of the garages in the F1 paddock. We'll see. And I'm thinking to myself that if you can't give birth in a hospital, in the clean environment of a hospital, you might choose an F1 paddock as being a suitable alternative. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'm sure the mechanics would catch. Yes, I, I oh, mean, definitely. And they could do it like a pit stop. <laughs> <laughs> push, push, pit stop. <laughs> 2.5 seconds. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. In and out. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't see why uh, she would object to such things. It would bring the team very close together. They would bond. Yeah, bonding, that'd definitely be the way to describe it. Can you imagine if it's during he our- He can never change teams again. No. <laughs> he would have to take all of those people with him. Yeah. Um, no, can you imagine if it happens during the race? And Nico, box, 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 it's now! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he boxes, she pops the kid, he goes yeah, out. 2.1 seconds, we're out of here! <laughs> <laughs> We need you to come in, cut the cord, go back out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Nico is about to become a father this year. Mm-hmm. And Father's Day is coming up. It is. So I thought I would do a quick roundup of some F1 gifts, gift ideas for your favorite F1 dad. And no worries, because I'm sure Pastor comes up with plenty of race day souvenirs at every race. <laughs> um, these are all fiber bits. These are not you. all parts that have fallen off the cars. Oh. However, they are some ultimate F1 gifts for dad. Okay. Is this some of the upcycled stuff? Yeah, possibly. A little bit of stuff. Um, the first one on the list is an F1 radiator belt. It's not what you're thinking. It's not an actual belt from a radiator. <laughs> But it is a leather, a luxury leather belt that has had a melted down Force India r- car radiator made f- into the buckle. It oh, is okay. 70 so, pounds. So, so they took the they radiator part of the radiator and that's the buckle. The buckle. Okay. And it's a leather belt. It's a, it's a 70 pound belt. I think perfect for your Force India fan. Um, there is a what they call a dog ring clock. Now, once set up, these are Renault F1 dog rings that were once set up to shift gears at less than half a second. And now we'll tell you the time. They are available in three different color combos and they retail for 75 pounds. Now, I think we're getting into some better options here. There's the F1 wheel rim table. Built from magnesium for the best balance between strength and weight, because that's always what you need in a good table. Sure. These F1 wheel rims are given relaxing retirement as a side table for your living room. I see this as the upgrade, the grown-up version of the spool. (laughs) Those, by the way, retail from 279 pounds. Um, there is a carbon fiber wallet. A little carbon fiber fabric adds a touch of masculine sparkle to an otherwise classic black leather wallet. Retail for fifty nine ninety nine pounds. That's in the more reasonable category. 
the way you destroy wallets, I might consider a carbon fiber wallet for you. <laughs> but this, this may be my favorite. Wall-mounted side pods. Excellent. Okay, so maybe not your average Father's Day gift, um, on a budget at least, but really too good to not to mention. The ultimate F1 artwork for your wall, original wall-mounted side pods, and they start at £499. They start at £500, right? However, there's only one of them, and it's a Renault R30 side pod that is £500. The Lotus... um, from 2011 and 2014 are 960 pounds. You could get a race-used 2007 Renault F1 team rear wing for 1,900 pounds that you can mount on your wall. Cool. Um, well, no, you need that as the centerpiece on your dining room table. No, it's, it's really more of a wall-mounted piece. No, I think centerpiece. Um, you could also get the V8 exhaust from a Lotus for 960 pounds. <clears throat> but when all else fails and you truly love your dad enough, for a mere 2,400 pounds, you could get a wall-mounted 2014 Lotus F1 Roman Grosjean engine cover. Well, that's because um, Roman was the only one that had engine covers left intact. Because if it was um, pasture, they'd be in pieces. Yes, but think about the modern art of a piece of broken pasture pieces across your wall. Show your dedication to the all things the crashinator can do. <laughs> all right. Um, so needless to say, in case you were curious, none of those are your father's day gift. Okay. Alrighty then. Well, apparently, you don't love me enough to get me Formula One car bits. Uh, not at twenty four hundred pounds. <laughs> Thank you so much. If you are looking for these F one uh, gift bits, you could go to mementoexclusives.com. Alrighty. Now, yeah, we're a little short this week because, well, let's face it. Again, post race hangover. Which appears to be how the season is shaping out. Of uh, If there's an eventful race the next week, everybody's just kind of walks around in shock and doesn't have much to say. Um, but as a reminder, we're going on vacation. Vacation. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So as a result, there will be no show next week. Or the week after. You get a vacation too. And you get a vacation. And you get a vacation. Everybody gets a vacation. Who says we don't give away vacations here? See? You know, what other Formula One podcast out there gives out vacations? Something that's that's unique. It is. It is truly unique. We are giving everyone in our listening audience a vacation from us. Now, you may think that it was bad timing to go and schedule a vacation over Montreal weekend. <laughs> you um, would be right. You, you'd probably be right, but yeah, we like this trip better. So, <laughs> Sorry. So we will be spending a couple of days in Bermuda, 
And you'll get to hear all about that during the summer doldrums that are sure to be coming at some point during this season, probably during the massive three-week gaps that we have. Yes. But we will definitely be back in time for Austria. Mm-hmm. And the second uh, race at the newly revamped and revived Red Bull Ring. Excellent. Where Red Bull is sure to not do very well. Once again. It'll be embarrassing. But until about two weeks from now, we will call it a show. It's a show. <laughs>